Welcome to the Keep Growing at UF podcast. I'm Kara. And I'm Brandon. We are trainers on the UF HR training and organizational development team. Training and organizational development has identified key skills that faculty and staff can develop as individuals and as leaders. The Keep Growing podcast will present some of our team's trainings in an audio format so that you can listen and learn at your convenience. How can one cultivate a mindset of positivity and compassion when the world is changing so rapidly? On this episode, we are presenting a webinar titled Cultivating an Abundance Mindset, which will teach you the difference between a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset, as well as what it takes to move from the former into the latter. This webinar was originally presented by Brandon Telg on April 21st, 2020. So our objectives over the next hour are to distinguish between the abundance and scarcity mindsets, uh, to evaluate how each mindset affects us both generally and in the workplace, and to develop a plan to move out of scarcity mindset and into abundance mindset. So are any of these things uh, things that you want for your life, to live an unlimited, full, and satisfying life, to exude happiness despite circumstances, to give and receive affections and items of high value with ease, to feel plentiful, creative, and inspired, to take full advantage of and enjoy new opportunities that come your way, to create memorable and meaningful life experiences, uh, or to feel secure and confident in your life endeavors and create successful outcomes. Uh, Well, if you said yes to any or all of these, then the abundance mindset is for you. Uh, And I have to imagine that almost everyone here would like at least one of these for their life. Uh, An anonymous quote uh, that summarizes abundance mindset very well is, the secret to having it all is that you already do. Uh, And I would ask that you keep this phrase in mind as we discuss both abundance and scarcity mindsets uh, over the next hour. So to begin, I'd like to take a moment to ask you where you feel that you are on the abundance mindset spectrum. Granted, we have not discussed what it means yet, and I'm aware of that, but if you had to guess, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being living uh, completely in a scarcity-based, fear-based space, and 10 being in a place of abundance, personal self-worth and security, uh, where do you find yourself on that spectrum? I don't necessarily need you to answer it in the chat, uh, but just think to your, for yourself uh, where you might find yourself on this. I'm going to give you a couple seconds to think about it. So the abundance mindset concept was coined by Stephen Covey in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, one of the most cited books written for solving personal and professional problems. In fact, we offer training on this right here at UFHR training. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) It is a character trait of the win-win mindset. Win-win is aiming for a solution where I win and you win. The most basic definition of abundance mindset is the belief that there is plenty out there for everybody. Scarcity mindset, on the other hand, is effectively the reverse of that. Uh, Scarcity mindset is a belief that life only has so much to go around. Scarcity mindset thinks of life like a pie. There's only one pie out there, and if someone else gets a big piece of the pie, that means that there's less pie for everybody else. It's a mindset characterized by fear and anxiety. It approaches life as a zero-sum game. 
A zero-sum game is one where if someone else scores a point, then I lose a point. Uh, there's a, a quote that I would like to read from a, a book called The Soul of Money from Lynn Twist. And that goes, for me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we didn't get done um, that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to that reverie of lack. This internal condition of scarcity, the mindset of scarcity, lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. But before we move forward, I want to address a subtle but important difference in terminology. Scarcity versus scarcity mindset. Scarcity is the state of being scarce or in short supply. So literally not having enough. And that can be in any number of countless ways that we do not have enough. Money, time, accolades, connection. Scarcity mindset is a byproduct of scarcity, but it isn't completely connected to the physical state of scarcity. When it comes to actual scarcity, there is very real, there's the very real reality of a true lack of resources for different people. When one lacks resources to meet one's needs, it creates a scarcity mindset. People who live in circumstances of poverty, for instance, often make decisions that might cause their situation to deteriorate. They take out loans at higher interest rates, save less, are more present biased in economic choice tasks. Uh, however, studies have shown that this phenomenon comes not from the limited resource itself, like money, time, food, etc., but the mere feeling of not having enough that causes that scarcity mindset. Interestingly, uh, the feelings of scarcity feel even worse when compared to a time when the resource was seen to be abundantly available. And as we are a scientific institution here at UF, I like to include research in my presentations. So to demonstrate this, a study. Uh, subjects were given what they thought was a personality test. By random assignment, they gave the subjects feedback that indicated that they were going to be either socially well-adjusted or very lonely. They then gave subjects a Raven's Progressive Matrix Test, and, which is an IQ test, which you see uh, on the screen now. A Raven's Progressive Matrix Test is um, used because it isn't tied to education level or cultural understanding like many assessments are. The results were that those who anticipated being lonely did much worse. There were no actual differences between the two groups, just a perceived lack of connection. In another version of this study, uh, similar scenario, subjects were, t were told that they were going to be either socially well-adjusted or lonely, but this time, instead of an IQ test, they were given the opportunity to taste chocolate chip cookies. Those who anticipated being lonely, well, they ate roughly twice as many cookies as those who uh, anticipated being well-adjusted. The key here is that in both studies, again, there was not an actual scarcity, but a perceived scarcity that made all the difference. 
the most basic definition, therefore, of scarcity mindset is having less than you feel you need. Put another way, scarcity is part of the concept of economics. All of us have a limited amount of money. Even the, rich, even the richest person cannot buy everything, right? However, the feeling of scarcity is not tied to the reality of scarcity. It may seem like a subtle difference, but today we're talking about scarcity mindset, uh, not the economic sense of scarcity. We're talking about having less than you feel you need. Now, let's look at that in the workplace setting. What does this mean? Imagine a day at work where your calendar is sprinkled with a few meetings and your to-do list is manageable. You spend the unscheduled time by lingering at lunch or at a meeting or calling a colleague to catch up. Now, imagine another day at work where your calendar is chock full of meetings. What little free time you have must be sunk into a project that is overdue. In both cases, time was physically scarce. You had the same number of hours at work, and you had more than enough activities to fill them. Yet in one case, you were acutely aware of scarcity, of the finiteness of time, and in the other, it was a distant reality, if you felt it at all. The feeling of scarcity, again, is distinct from its physical reality. So studies have done that show a severe detrimental effect in decision-making when operating from a scarcity mindset. It's not just a matter of focusing on what you don't have, but the detrimental cost of attention for unrelated aspects. We only have so much attention and capacity to complete tasks in front of us. Consider this, your mental bandwidth. Scarcity mindset hijacks that mental bandwidth and forces your focus on whatever it deems is the most important thing at the time. It puts you in the scarcity tunnel. Wrong way. So did you know that vehicle accidents are the second leading cause of firefighter deaths? In 79% of these deaths, the firefighter in question was not wearing a seatbelt. Why does this happen? Well, when firefighters are preparing, they have lots uh, of things that they have to put on, lots of gear. They have to get somewhere quickly. They have to strategize on the way. They do not have time. They only have enough time to do what they need to do and get there. Um, the scarcity of time causes firefighters to focus or to tunnel on putting out the fire, but neglect certain other things like putting on a seatbelt. Focus is positive, right? Tunneling is not. Tunneling causes us to neglect other, possibly more important things. Studies have shown that when operating under scarcity mindset in fMRI machines, people tend to activate the valuation or comparison part of the brain, but not the goal-oriented part of the brain. In other words, your brain will spend more energy finding the next best thing or the next cheapest thing, but not focus on the overall best approach to achieve long-term goals. Short-term wins at the cost of long-term victories. Another example of what the scarcity tunnel looks like is the hunger study. I'm going to show you a, a quick clip to explain. An amazing study that was done in the 40s had to do with when the Allied forces realized that they were about to inherit a lot of hungry people in Europe, and they had no idea how to feed them. Feeding hungry people is a, is a non-trivial task. Uh, a famous researcher into nutrition in Minnesota conducted a, a series of studies. These are 
conscientious objectors who since they're objecting to the good war were very eager to volunteer to these studies. These are capable young men who volunteer to starve, not to death, but to immense discomfort. And when you look at the descriptions of what happens, you know, there's the obvious physical stuff. They, they're too tired to keep their hands up to wash their hair. They need pillows to sit down because their butts are too naked. But the amazing stuff also is the psychological. These are young, talented men who spend their entire time planning to open restaurants, reading recipes, comparing prices of foods in different stores and in the newspapers. That's all they're thinking about. It's taking all their cognitive capacity. It's about food. At some point, the, the researchers decide to distract them by showing them some films. And you, these guys describe the films, and they couldn't care less about the love scenes. They want to see the meals. And what's important here is this is not something they're choosing to do. In a sense, they'd rather do something else. It just imposes itself on their minds, and it's very hard to avoid. So the notion is that cognitive capacity, which is a very limited resource, is captured by when you don't have enough of something, and you basically find yourself automatically paying a lot of mind to that now, thing. Now, please note, um, this was a case of imposed physical scarcity, but it demonstrates very well that tunneling effect that occurs within a scarcity mindset. The study participants, when unable to eat, could only think about food at the expense of everything else. And now that we have a sense of what scarcity mindset looks like, let's talk about what it looks like in the workplace. Have you ever said any of these to yourself? Oh, I don't want to lose what I have, so I can't take risks. Or has the magnitude of an experience felt magnified tenfold, like when you tell yourself, oh, job interviews are super stressful because there just aren't that many jobs out there, and if I don't get this, I will never get another shot. Or how about the feeling of, oh, pressure, so much pressure. Or how about that feeling where there can only be one number one? To win means to beat. Or if someone else wins, I lose. So scarcity creates trade-off thinking. Uh, you see here one, suit, uh, one large suitcase and one small suitcase. Now, imagine you're going on a trip, right? And you have one suitcase to pack everything into. Uh, we have a, a mountain of clothes, enough so that in the smaller suitcase, it fits exactly right. Like you have to, you have to jump on that suitcase to buckle it up, but it fits. But then in the larger suitcase, it fits with room to spare. You probably didn't have to fold it up. You just throw them all in there, which my wife tells me is what I do. So, uh, you know, <laughs> disclaimer, that's, that's, that's how I travel. Um, with, with the bigger suitcase, all the clothes just fit in no matter what you do with lots of space left over. With the smaller suitcase, everything can be made to fit uh, after folding and figuring out the best methodical way to get everything stacked properly. But then I introduce an umbrella and a sweater and a toiletries bag, and maybe a few other things. With the bigger suitcase, you can toss everything in there without thinking about it much. There will probably even be some room to spare. With the smaller suitcase, uh, you'll inevitably be forced to take something out and make a choice for what stays and what goes. Whatever you choose to not pack may have a cost to it later. Like if you don't choose the umbrella, it may rain, uh, when you get to where you're going and you may get soaked or you may have to buy an umbrella there. But packing with that small suitcase forces trade-offs. Scarcity mindset is, is, is similar. It creates trade-off thinking. 
I am limited in this way and can only accomplish my task by taking something away. The cost may make sense now, but it could be harmful later. So look at your workday. Who here has worked through lunch to accomplish a deadline? I imagine most people probably have. Um, if I'm being honest, I worked through lunch yesterday to finish this webinar. <laughs> That's a trade-off that you made, or I made, based on scarcity of time. You likely got your work done, but at the cost of maybe getting hangry later. And I did. Um, repeating this behavior again and again has its own detrimental effects, but I bet you you thought about eating lunch and it crept into your thinking. So you had not only the physical tax of not eating, which does affect your body and your mind, but that mental tax of having something take over your thoughts as well. Your mental bandwidth was doubly taxed. Operating from scarcity and trade-off thinking gives you little room to experiment, no room to try something new, and no room to try something and fail. Additionally, a dynamic is created where something going right comes at the expense of something or someone else. People with scarcity mindset in the workplace have a very difficult time sharing recognition and credit, uh, power, or even profit, uh, even with those who share in the production. They have a hard time being genuinely happy for the successes of others, even family or close friends and associates. It's like something is being taken away from them when someone else receives special recognition or achieves success. They may express verbal happiness, but inside they do not feel it. They have a sense of worth that comes from being compared, and someone else's success means my failure. Always comparing, always competing. And I'm going to describe what a leader looks like from a space of scarcity mindset. Have you ever been on a team where you've observed any of these behaviors? Uh, leaders with scarcity mindset give their energies to possessing things or other people in order to increase their sense of worth. They often want people to be the way they want them to be, uh, which is to say, clone themselves, surrounding themselves with yes people who won't necessarily challenge them. Differences are often seen as a sign of insubordination and disloyalty. Paranoia, fear, and politics thrive in this environment. Team members become nervous and afraid to make mistakes. Overall, teamwork and innovation suffers. So Kevin Serace is a top U.S. innovator and entrepreneur. He was 2009's Inc. Magazine Entrepreneur of the Year. He was asked by Brene Brown, of all people, uh, what's the most significant barrier to creativity and innovation? His answer was, quote, Honestly, it's the fear of introducing an idea and being ridiculed, being laughed at and belittled. If you're willing to subject yourself to that experience, and if you survive it, then it becomes the fear of failure and the fear of being wrong. What Kevin described is a scarcity mindset all the way down. If our actions and behaviors foster a work culture that creates or exacerbates fear, we will see a direct decline in creativity and innovation because both creativity and innovation require the ability to try outside of the box ideas and potentially fail. Scarcity mindset also becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and creates what is known as a scarcity trap. So for example, if you believe this job interview is the only one you'll ever get, you're going to put a ton of unnecessary pressure and anxiety on yourself, which, trust me, your interviewer will see and notice. 
then you may not get that job. And then you beat yourself up about it. And it creates this cycle, right? A negative feedback loop, a scarcity trap. Um, and I do hear that someone is unmuted. I'm going to go ahead and mute you. Um, there we go. Uh, so we've discussed what scarcity mindset looks like and some of the traps that we fall into with it. What does abundance mindset look like? Remember the definition that we discussed at the beginning of this presentation? There is plenty out there for everybody. Keep that in mind. So abundance mindset comes from a deep inner sense of personal worth and security. Again, there is enough to spare for everybody. If someone else wins, we all win. Remember, this idea comes from the win-win principle of seven habits. So remember that suitcase example where we had to trade off to make everything fit? When we operate from an abundance mindset, we don't feel that we have to give anything up to make everything fit. For example, in a scarcity mindset around accolades, if your colleague gets a commendation for the work that they did, that means that there isn't enough accolades left for you. The suitcase gets full, so you have to make sure that the only accolades getting in there are the ones for you. And this creates competition and a mental bandwidth tax. If you're focused on others' accomplishments in that negative way, you're not able to focus on getting your own things done in a creative and innovative way. The trade-off really is your own success. With an abundance mindset, you know that there is enough for everyone. If your colleague gets an award, yay, great for them. Their success reflects positively on all of us. Now, time to get back to my work and, and do things uh, my own way. Whereas scarcity mindset closes off, abundance mindset results in the sharing of prestige, recognition, profits, if, if that's relevant to your work, and decision-making. The opening of possibilities, options, alternatives, and creativity. And it appreciates the uniqueness, inner direction, and proactive nature of others. So what does this look like? Uh, one example would be um, the ideal praise to criticism ratio. So the magic ratio in successful teams of praise to criticism is um, for every one piece of criticism in the workplace, 5.6, which, as you can see from the slide, I've rounded up to six, <laughs> uh, positive comments are given. And this is actually mirrored by John Gottman's research that shows that in healthy relationships, the magic ratio of criticism is five compliments to one criticism for a healthy relationship. What this means in this context is that with an abundant mindset in the workplace, the externalizing of positive feelings towards others creates stronger teams. So uh, because this is a webinar, and uh, again, because we're buckled in, this is, there's a lot of content, um, I would like it if you could, after this is over, um, to write six positive comments that you can go back to your workplace and give today to your colleagues, whether that's via email or a Zoom call or via Skype for Business or MS Teams, whatever it is that you use, six comments that you can go back to your workplace and give today to your colleagues. Um, unfortunately, we don't have time to stop and write them right now, but I challenge you to do that after this is over. Um, the idea that we're discussing here is that abundance mindset takes personal joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment and turns it outwards. An example of what this looks like. Um, again, I did mention that I like my studies, uh, so here's another one for you. Um, 
some Indiana University researchers led by uh, Prathik Kini uh, recruited 43 people who were undertaking counseling sessions as a treatment for their anxiety or depression. 22 of them were assigned to a gratitude intervention. For the first three sessions of their weekly counseling, this group spent 20 minutes writing a letter in which they expressed their gratitude to the recipient, an hour in total. Whether they chose to send these letters was up to them. The other participants acted as a control group, so they simply attended their counseling as usual without performing the gratitude task. Three months after their counseling was over, all of the participants completed a pay it forward gratitude task in a brain scanner. Each was given, quote unquote, various amounts of money by imaginary benefactors whose names and photos appeared on screen to add to the realism of the task. The researchers told the participants that each benefactor said if the participant wanted to express their gratitude for the monetary gift, they'd appreciate it. If that participant, <coughs> excuse me, they'd appreciate it if that participant gave some or all of the donation to a named third party, again identified by a photo or named or a named charity. The participants knew that this was all an exercise, right? But they were told that one of the transactions chosen later at random would actually occur. That is, they'd actually receive the cash amount offered to them by one of the benefactors minus the amount they chose to pass on. And the money they opted to pass on really would go to charity. The researchers found that on average, the more money a participant gave away and the stronger the feelings of gratitude that they reported feeling, the more activity they exhibited in a range of brain areas in the frontal, parietal, and occipital regions. Interestingly, these neural activity patterns appeared somewhat distinct from those that usually appear when brain, brain scan subjects complete tasks associated with emotions like empathy or thinking about others' points of view, which is consistent with that idea that gratitude is actually its unique, a, a unique emotion, right? So paying it forward actually, uh, you know, makes you feel better, actually uh, helps you to develop a stronger sense of self-worth. Abundance mindset creates public victory. Public victory is not victory over other people. It is success between two or more parties that brings mutually beneficial results for everyone involved. It's the idea of making things happen together that couldn't have happened by working independently. When one of us succeeds, we all succeed. Again, it is that win-win philosophy. To define win-win, let's look at Stephen Covey's description in Seven Habits, since he is the one who came up with the idea. Uh, when one side benefits more than the other, that's a win-lose situation. To the winner, it might look like a success for a while, but in the long run, it breeds resentment and distrust. But when you operate from a win-win, uh, it is a positive for everyone, right? When operating from an abundance mindset, you create an opportunity for everyone to succeed, including you. So, uh, again, normally I would like to have everyone sit down and write an answer to this question, but uh, I'm going to give you a minute to think about a situation in the workplace where things are going wrong. Next, can you identify ways in which that situation is actually going right? Like I said, I'm going to give you a minute to think about this, uh, identify this for yourself in your workplace.
Okay, so I recognize I'm going quickly here, but um, I'm going to say if you did not get a chance to fully, you know, formulate this thought, write it down, come back to it after. So let's look at some real world differences between scarcity mindset and abundance mindset. One, the world controls you versus you control the world. With a scarcity mindset, everything outside of me dictates whether I'm going to be successful or not, whether that be my genetics, uh, excuse me, the government, my clients, my boss, my team, my competitors, the list goes on. Outside forces dictate my success. Whereas within the abundant mindset, I have control over the world around me. Something may be making it more challenging, certainly, but ultimately I am in control of my own actions. Thinking big versus thinking small. An abundance mindset helps you to create bigger dreams, uh, bigger goals, to dream beyond the limitations of what's around you. A scarcity mindset keeps your thinking within the box of whatever resource is per perceived to be scarce. Plenty versus lack. Think of how even just this phrase feels different, okay? I can afford that, or I can't afford that. Now, the idea is not to make poor decisions, thinking that you can do more than you can do, or buy more than you can afford, but thinking from a place of knowing what your limits are and approaching that limit with positivity. Uh, an example would be, you know what? I can afford to take a 30-minute walk around campus during my lunch break, maybe when we're all back on campus. <laughs> I can afford to take a 30-minute walk around campus during my lunch break, or I can't afford to drive to the, I cannot afford to drive to the gym during my lunch break, so I guess I'll just take a walk. It's the same action, but completely different understanding and internalizing of it. Uh, related to that, Happiness versus resentment. Abundance, you know, optimism. Scarcity creates competitiveness and resentment. And then finally, like embracing change versus fear of change. Change is a part of life. Abundance embraces and accepts that. Scarcity fears change and tries to avoid or complain about it. Getting out of a scarcity trap uh, first requires formulating a plan something the scarcity mindset does not easily accommodate. Making a plan is important, but not urgent. Exactly the kind of thing that tunneling leads us to neglect. If you recall from the fireman's example, uh, what is important versus what is urgent, tunneling makes you focus on what is urgent, but not necessarily what is important, right? The more we understand the dynamics of how scarcity works upon the mind, the more likely we can find ways to avoid or alleviate the scarcity trap. If we recall that scarcity mindset is the feeling of not having enough, and abundance mindset is knowing that there is enough to go around, it stands to reason that our attitudes towards scarcity and abundance greatly influence our success. But to get there, sometimes we have to do some rearranging, to change our older ways of interacting with our work or the world. Why is that important? Well, if we don't, and we're operating from a scarcity mindset, our routines and patterns may actually be setting ourselves up to fall back into those 
you know, negative mindsets, those, those patterns, those routines. An example, uh, during World War II, the U.S. military had a problem. There were many wheels-up crashes happening. That is to say, after landing, pilots would retract the wheels instead of the flaps. Now, retracting a plane's wheels while on the ground is a big problem. Uh, they brought in Alphonse Ch Chapinis, I'm guessing is how you pronounce that name, a psychologist to determine the root of the problem. Are the pilots too tired? Poorly trained? Are they being careless? Well, he quickly realized this was only happening with B-17s and B-25s. Other pilots of other types of planes were not making this mistake. He, de he decided to not evaluate their minds quite yet, but rather evaluate their cockpits. What he found was that in B-17s and B-25s, the controls for the wheels and the flaps were side by side, and they looked identical. The other planes that were not crashing like this had a completely differently designed cockpit. As it turns out, the pilots of B-17s and B-25s were not the problem. The pilots were extremely well-trained, excellent at what they do, but anyone put in a confounding context will make mistakes. Alphonse's observations caused a transformation in the way cockpits were designed, and these errors dropped after the changes were made. Now, the point of this story is to say that we are all susceptible to error, right? We're all susceptible to scarcity mindset. However, if we make changes to our routine, if we change our environment or our relationship to it, we will drop the likelihood of it happening when we create an environment or routines conducive to an abundance mindset. Much like how you smile, even if you're not feeling happy, you will actually feel better. If we create an environment and develop personal practices suited towards abundance mindset, it will be much more likely that we can thrive in that space. So let's talk about some methods to cultivate abundance mindset at a personal level. First of all, take responsibility. Before you can begin to explore an abundance mindset, you must take full responsibility for your life and understand that while things will happen that you cannot control, it's your responsibility to deal with whatever will come up. And then from there, self-reflect. Become aware of your thoughts. Uh, cultivate mindfulness. You can't change your thoughts until you recognize them, right? Uh, and intentional self-reflection or mindfulness helps with this. So here, here is an, an action that you can do. If you find yourself in a difficult spot in your life with something, stop and ask, your, uh, stop and ask yourself, are my thoughts about this based in fear and scarcity? And if so, what do I need to do to shift my mindset to abundance? Keep track of things to be grateful for. You're going to hear the word gratefulness and gratitude uh, a few more times uh, because uh, it is important in creating that abundance mindset to understand what there is to be grateful for, right? So keep track of things to be grateful for. Keep a gratitude journal and write what you're grateful for each day. Try to write 10 things per day. Again, here's a challenge for you after this webinar is over. Write down 10 things to be grateful for, right? Include both personal and professional. Remind yourself that there is more than enough. I mean, really, it, it is a mantra. <laughs> if you repeat to yourself, there is plenty for everyone, it, it does. It's like a catchy refrain that gets in your head, right? There is more than enough for everyone. 
So carefully select the company you keep. Mindsets are contagious. Cut out the negative energy. If you spend less time with complainers, you'll start to find yourself probably complaining less too. And, and watch what you say. So the language you use to yourself and others shapes your reality. Are you telling stories of scarcity or abundance? Um, I'm going to show you a quick video of someone uh, talking about this and what it looks like in their workplace. An example of this is a client of ours who unconsciously was using the word of unfortunately a lot. So he would say, unfortunately, we have to cancel this meeting. Unfortunately, we don't have enough budget for this project. So we challenge him. We ask him to actually take the word out and put thankfully in. So he would have to say instead, thankfully, we have more time to finish our work. Or thankfully, we have enough budget for the projects that we have going on. And just making the simple switch helps a lot because the way then he shows up is completely different for his employees. And again, give more of what you want. It seems counterintuitive, but one of the best ways to increase abundance is to give. If you don't feel like you have enough time, volunteer. If even for an hour to help someone in need. Uh, is money your issue? Give a little to someone less fortunate. Be a river, not a reservoir. This cultivates an abundance mindset. So I'm going to refer back to that uh, pay it forward research, right? Uh, remember that the researchers found that the more money a participant gave away, the stronger the feelings of gratitude they reported feeling and the better they felt about it. And while many of the principles that we've already discussed apply in the workplace as well, we're going to talk about some methods to specifically cultivate an abundance mindset in the workplace. First of all, stay organized. Life feels chaotic when things are not well organized. It's easy to feel overwhelmed and start to feel scarcity of time. Taking control of your schedule can really help you get that stability. And I'm going to give you an example of how I organize my time. This is a method of time management that I personally use. It is called the four quadrants of time management. Every single day, I write out my daily tasks in four quadrants like this, and I start with quadrant one and make my way down to quadrant four through my workday. As new tasks come up, I add them to my quadrants. Uh, the next day, I take my last day's chart and I rewrite it for whatever the next day's priorities are. So perhaps something has moved from quarter three, quadrant three to quadrant four. And so what this is, um, is it, you can separate your tasks from important and urgent to not important and not urgent, right? So if you have something that's due today and it's a big deal, chances are it's going to end up in quadrant one. If you have something that is, um, you know, it needs to be done by the end of this week, but it's not like highest on your priority list, perhaps that's quadrant three, right? Um, another way to think about it is the way that it's labeled here. Quadrant one is for crises and emergencies. Quadrant two is for prevention, planning, and improvement. Quadrant three is for those interruptions that come up. And quadrant four is for time wasters. Um, and I can't speak for what those look like in your workplace, but everyone has them. Not urgent, not important tasks that, um, you know, it's nice if they get done, but it's not really pressing or important at this moment. Um, if you're spending all your time in quadrants three and four, chances are your quadrants one and two are piling up 
and it will just create bigger fires for you to put out later. Um, and so I challenge you to write the rest of your day's schedule in this format and see and, and try to use this method for one week and see what happens. I would also say uh, that when you create a new schedule, if, if this is you know one of the first times that you've really spent a lot of time actively doing this, work to create some slack in that schedule. So uh, what do I mean by slack? Well, I'm going to give you an example um, from St. John's Regional Health Center in Missouri that, that I think illustrates what I mean. In 2002, uh, this hospital in Missouri had a problem. The operating rooms were at 100% capacity. When emergencies happened, and they did because it was a hospital, uh, they took up to 20% of their capacity. The hospital often had to bump long scheduled operations and doctors were performing surgeries at 2 a.m. They were in the scarcity trap, always behind, always rescheduling, and making bad trade-offs. I mean, making physicians operate under those really poor circumstances, uh, they, were, they were deep in the scarcity trap, or so they thought. They brought in a consultant, not stuck in that scarcity trap, who looked at the situation and came up with a counterintuitive conclusion. Leave one room unscheduled at all times. Now, this seemed impossible given that they were already at 100% capacity. However, what this illustrated is that it wasn't that there wasn't enough room for everybody, it's that they didn't have room to accommodate emergencies, but they knew emergencies would come. So that's what this new room was for. This process worked. After changing to this model, the hospital was able to accommodate 5.1% more surgical cases. Surgeries performed after 3 p.m. fell by 45%. In fact, the two years that followed, the hospital experienced a 7 to 11% increase in surgical volume each year. What they did was they fully scheduled all but one operating room, and everyone worked their scheduled hours there, and they had the slack that they needed to perform emergency operations when they arose, because they knew that they would. They created slack in their schedule. Now, slack sounds like a bad thing, but it's incredibly important in creating a schedule because without it, if we're scheduled to an inch of our lives, every new thing will feel like an emergency because one new task will make you have to reschedule everything else. You become a juggler, and you'll likely have to make bad trade-offs. Creating some slack allows you to deal with emergencies as they arise with minimal stress. Now, what does this hospital have in common with a coffee grinder? Well, a different way of looking at slack is that if we fill our schedule all the way up, like coffee beans in a coffee grinder, well, frankly, the grinder will not work, right? It requires just a little space to operate correctly. If I had a coffee grinder on me, I would show you what I mean. <laughs> um, the hospital was operating like that coffee grinder all the way full. When they created a little space, a little slack, they were able to operate more efficiently. They created bandwidth. Think about how you can create some slack in your schedule as you build it out. So another way to create an abundant workplace, an abundant mindset in the workplace, is to train yourself to be happy for others. Remember, my success does not diminish your success. And conversely, your success does not diminish 
my success. So I'm going to tell you a personal anecdote here. So members of my team won a UF Prudential Productivity Award. And if you're not familiar with the, what that is, it means that the team went above and beyond. They got recognized for it. And the members of the team actually got paid real money uh, for that as a bonus, effectively. There are not that many places at the university where bonuses come into play, but this is one of them. Although... I helped to brainstorm for the project. I was not on the active implementation team. So my team members received praise and that bonus. And my first scarcity response reaction was, hey, I want a bonus too. I saw it based on what I didn't get, right? However, I soon recognized just because I didn't get the award, it didn't mean that I couldn't try another year, right? Plus, my team member's success reflected positively on my entire team. So I got to receive the benefit of increased respect in the university system being part of the team that I was on, right? It took, my, it took some, some, some doing to switch that mindset from saying, hey, how come they got something that I didn't get to being genuinely happy for their success, and in that win-win mindset, their success brings success to me as well. Um, and, a, and a way to train yourself to be happy for others is to offer words of appreciation. Think back to that magic ratio of six to one, um, or practice some of that gratitude that we've already discussed. Let people know how much you value their contributions. Remind each person on your team that they are needed, that, that people, want, people want to know that their work matters, right? Uh, your influence and happiness will increase in direct proportion to the appreciation that you show on your team. Now, uh, focus on what is going right. So remember how we discussed that idea of a mindset of plenty versus lack? Well, we often have a tendency to focus on what is going wrong. What if we started focusing on things that are going right? So my department has what we call the wall of wins. I can actually turn right now and see it, although I can tell that I'm pointing to the to the, the state of Florida. Uh, you may not be able to see it, but um, I can see it behind me right now. Pretty much everyone on our team passes this every day as we walk through the halls if we are in our building. Um, do you have any examples of what this looks like in your department? This can be for the department or your individual office. If you don't already have something like this, how can you incorporate an idea like this into your office environment? Think about that. And, and choose to see obstacles as opportunities. When your team is faced with an obstacle, flip it around and consider it as an opportunity. If you regularly face your challenge with optimism and model it for your team, problems will quickly dissolve and optimism will, be, will become a default mechanism. The University of Florida itself is actually a great example of this. We were tasked with becoming a top 10 public university. Now that is a huge task, like Herculean task. But rather than frame it as this difficult challenge, oh gosh, we all got to just like focus on getting the university to top 10, whatever that looks like for me. The university came up with a slogan, go greater. The university saw this as an opportunity to grow, and UF's faculty, staff, and students bought in. 
And now we actually are in the top 10. And finally, model it. Again, if you help set the tone for your workplace. So look around, and if you model or teach the abundance mindset, you'll learn it well yourself. There's an anonymous quote that says, when you help another person get to the top of the mountain, they will arrive there also. You, sorry. When you help another person get to the top of the mountain, you will arrive there also. So final challenge. Um, and I am actually going to give you uh, just a couple minutes to, to do this. Take a moment and write three things you can apply to your work today from the tools that we discussed. Um, I'm going to give you all, I'm going to set a timer for about two minutes uh, to do that because we are running up against our time uh, in just a few. So I'm going to give you two minutes to think about, write down three things that you can apply to your work today from these tools. Okay, so that is two minutes, and I have one final slide for you. Remember that in every moment in interaction, you have the freedom to choose what you want to be like. So, be abundant.